Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area we always ask that you download the app the veritas catholic radio network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content please if you like the content share it with your friends okay and if you like what joe and i do you could find us primarily right now on youtube at the front line with joe and joe the front line with joe and joe like subscribe share do all that fun stuff and today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Tom Heine, and we're going to be discussing his new book out from Ignatius Press, The Song of Ascent, Lives of Rage and Stillness. Joe Rosanello, I find that to be an, an interesting title, and we're going to we're gonna get into that. Now, some of you out there uh, might know Tom. Some of you might own his book, and if you don't, go out and buy it, all right? We're going to tell you exactly where to do so, uh, but a brief bio. Tom Heine, a native of England, is a journalist. He's written for The Spectator and The London Observer. He is the acclaimed author of On the Missionary Trail and of Raymond Chandler, a biography, um, a New York Times notable book of the year. He converted to Catholicism in 2020 and is preparing for ordination to the priesthood. Tom Heine, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you very much, both of you. Awesome. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Racinello and we'll jump right into it. Tom, we always begin with a prayer because God knows I need prayers, Tom. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I got to be honest, Tom. Uh, we talk to a lot of people. I find your story to be amazing, truthfully. Um, I like conversion stories, but the arc of your life, I mean, clearly you were a successful person. You know, you lived in the world. You were an atheist. That doesn't mean, you know, the two are tied, but that says to me that, you know, you've seen the world and frankly, you, you've turned your back on it to a degree. <laughs> now you become an Anglican. Then you become a Catholic. Then you're studying for the priesthood. I mean, that's quite an arc. I mean, really, it really is. Uh, walk us through a little bit of that. Um, it, it's reminiscent to me of Malcolm Mugridge, uh, like to a degree. Here's a guy, you know, he was a well-known journalist. He brings Mother Teresa to, to the forefront of the world. Um, now, here you are. You're going to bring Jesus in the Eucharist to people. Um, mm. Clearly, God made an impression upon you. Yeah, um, well, thank you. I mean, just to dive straight into that Malcolm Muggeridge um, parallel, I was actually sat in the Sunday Times offices in London on the day that Nelson Mandela got released. I don't know if you remember that TV footage of him walking hand in hand with Winnie Mandela uh, down this sort of 
tree-lined avenue. He'd been latterly in, in, a, in a sort of safe house uh, off Robin Island. And I was surrounded by cynicism and irony. I actually traded in cynicism and irony. That's what I wrote. I wasn't writing new stuff. I was writing, you know, your columns, your features, your interviews. And it was, it was all fairly, um, it was all fairly ironic. And, um, and there was something so pure about that moment. Now, Mandela wasn't a particularly sort of religious man, but the guy had spent 27 years in prison and, uh, and there was something about that moment that began a journey, yeah, which leads me uh, sort of all the way to training for the priesthood. But I mean, in, in terms of the atheism, I would say that I was on the uh, I was on that end of the spectrum. But in as much as I didn't really think about the whole God thing at all, I wasn't out and out uh, sort of subscribing to Christopher Hitchens or reading sort of early Dawkins I just didn't really think about it I was more interested in having a good time and having a career um, but yeah um, it only takes meeting one or two people who've got something else to them or reading something and you just can't get it out of your mind and I suppose I've, I, I'm, I'm sort of one of those people that um, I, I just find holiness irresistible and I, I've I've not always lived a particularly holy life and I'm still far from perfect, but I just, I just, I'm in love with it. And, um, and just, and it seems to sort of like keep drawing me on. Uh, I'll stop there for now. I want to just come because I know Joe probably has a million things he wants to say, but I want to just touch on one thing you just said. I one time, you're going to laugh, almost ran over a nun running because I'm a crazy Italian man, always in a rush. I almost re literally running up the stairs. And just before I knocked her over, I looked into her eyes. It was on Good Friday. I kid you not, that stare to this day haunts me. It haunts me. She was old. Her body was so broken, but her eyes were like a fire. And I kid you not, I stopped and I was like, to this day. Yeah. Like you said, there's something about holiness that is haunting and, and it grabs people. I To this day, I remember. In fact, as I watched her venerate the cross in that church in the Bronx, I wept. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, it, you know, in, in the movies and... Um, I mean, even those of us who've not really had hands-on experience in the movies, we get the idea there's there's makeup, there's lighting, there's they're given a script, they've got the best of everything. They don't come close to what uh, to how beautiful those moments are when you see someone genuinely joyful before the Lord or genuinely praying. Um, in South Africa, where where I moved to, after I saw that Mandela release, I just decided quite impulsively, right, I'm moving to South Africa. I'm going to get away from this uh, sort of hedonistic um, place. And um, and because I was a journalist, I had an excuse of going into churches. You know, I wasn't going to church. I was just going in to listen to the beautiful singing and maybe do a story on it. And I saw in these little corrugated iron roof churches in the middle of townships in the middle of nowhere some of the most beautiful scenes like you've just said of that of that nun that i can't get out of my mind uh, the way just people held themselves even their body you know that song um the hymn uh at least it was a protestant protestant hymn i'm not sure whether you guys would have sung it but it's um 
uh, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back. Uh, it has, and you know, these people were dancing without the devil on their back. And I just looked on it, and it and uh, it blew me away. Blew me away. Thank you for that. Tom Heine's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing the Song of Ascents, Tom's new book, Lives of Rage and Stillness. I just want to comment. I think it's important. Tom, we try to we try to evangelize in our own way. We try to educate. We learn as much from our guests as we as you know as our as our audience does. But one thing I always want to emphasize um, in that regard is that what you mentioned about holiness and that and the, the love of holiness. Joe alluded to it when he saw the the look in the in the nun's eyes. Is I always want to try to emphasize to those out there who might be thinking about coming into the Catholic Church. You're not going to be holy coming into the Catholic Church, like you mentioned, Tom. In other words, you say you're far from it. We're all on a journey to grow in holiness. I wish people would realize that. I think there's a misconception sometimes that well, you come into the church. All of a sudden, you walk on water. No, life's a struggle. And it's between the, the the world, the devil, and the flesh on the one hand, and that love of holiness that you were talking about. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's so important to emphasize because of a, like, I think the church gets beaten up a lot. What we do when you're a faithful Catholic, and I think you have the grace of God, the thing you recognize the most is you, or that in yourself is that you actually love what is holy again it's a struggle we want to strive for it so i'm, I'm glad i'm glad you brought that up i just wanted to make a quick comment no, i mean on that. When, when i was uh yeah later on when i was working as a anglican pastor i um a bit like in the catholic church uh, baptisms you've suddenly got a full church uh, so you find yourself with loads of people who don't normally come to church and i occasionally used to say to them look just for the records those of you who don't normally come to church those of us who do don't come here uh, because we think we're perfect. We come here because we know we're idiots. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Tom, Tom, I'm stealing that, by the way. I'm not borrowing it. I'm stealing that from you. I love it. Joe Restinello. I want to I read this clip. Uh, in doing research for the interview, uh, I came across it, and I, I love both your comments. I think it's amazing. It says, the truth is bigger than we are. If it comes for us, our whole lives might break open. If it falls from heaven, it can fall at four in the morning when you are cold with insomnia. It can refuse to fall when advertised. It has a life of its own. God calls whether we are ready or not. Speak to that, Tom, because I think it's very true. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on it. So in our, in our human mind, uh, I think we sometimes have an idea of, of God, the truth, as, as, as something like an Indiana Jones film where it's hidden somewhere. And if we could just read the right books or, or turn up at the right meetings, we, we can uncover this thing. But really, when you read the saints and you read the mystics and you, and you read, uh, you just read scripture, the truth is the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is coming in our direction as well. And it's not, uh, it's coming at us with love and it sometimes just touches us um, to, to grab our attention and to, to sort of pull us away from, from dangerous decisions that we might be close to making or to help us heal from dangerous decisions that we've already made. And then it just goes and um, and you might be listening to, uh, you know, you might have just read something, you might be listening to a piece of music, and so you think, oh, well, I'll just read that again and listen to that again, and I'll get the same feeling. It doesn't work like that. God is so clever and so um, 
it's just worth reminding ourselves sometimes that uh, that the truth is not static. It it has our eyes on us. It can read our thoughts, and it is it's 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 shaping. It's um, how can I put it? it? It's it's assessing us as much as we're assessing it. I think of the transfiguration because Christ took three men up a mountain and he showed his glory to them and they wanted to stay there. But he then said, no, you go back down. And it's those moments that we look to when we're back down from the mountain, what you're saying, when God reveals like himself. And I think he does that throughout life, like moments in our life good moments, bad moments. He'll just say almost like he sticks his head from around the corner and just says, I'm here, I'm real. But then we have to respond. You see, that's the, the, the moment. And I actually think when we look to the Lord, when we go in front of him, if anyone ever says, well, where were you? I think he will show us those moments in our life. I was here. Yeah. I was here. I was here. Where were you? After that, I showed myself to you. I believe that in moments in life, like you said, but then we have to respond. We have to then take the step. It's like the crossroads, you know what I mean? Like those movies. Well, I would, think, I would like, I, I would like Tom to, 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 to comment on that um, relative to your own life. Like you mentioned, like you were leaving, living a hedonistic lifestyle. Um, I, I, I could say from my personal experience, I, I say on the show all the time, I'm an open book. I live 20 more or more years of my life the same way. I didn't, I didn't want to hear anything about the cat. I'm a cradle Catholic. I didn't want to hear anything about sacraments, confession or anything like that. But comment on that a little bit, Tom, for our audience um, where uh, yes, you know, you, you could recognize a moment when God may be calling you, but it's so difficult sometimes to put down the, 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 the pleasures of the world. Um, but yet we, as Joe said, we have to respond. We ought to re put it like this. God doesn't force us. We ought to respond for our own good. Um, if you can maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a bunch there's a bunch of stuff that goes on in those situations, and I think sometimes you know, especially if people are listening and they're they're in they're in that on the cusp of sort of making these decisions. It doesn't happen in an emotional vacuum. They're often very intense times in our lives with a bunch of stuff going on um financial emotional kind of all sorts of stuff so it's for me it was the it was the fading of the allure of hedonism like you know you know what it's like you you go out with people um on a night out actually the first couple of hours it is genuinely people are sharp they're funny they're honest they're not you're not dealing with the superficiality of life um they're really sort of they're being quite sort of frank but then with 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 uh hedonism just the evening gets cloudier and cloudier and it never ends well it, um whereas when when you're with uh when you're with someone of people of faith um you can actually and it blew my mind when i realized this they've still got a sense of humor we've still got a sense of humor we've still got a sense of our own shortcomings we and we can talk honestly and but when we we can also pray together at the end um and release each other back into each other uh, into our lives and there's a there's a wholeness to it and so it was it was realizing it, just the other was becoming repetitive and annoying and and this whole world of of faith just was seeming more and more attractive but 
at some point, you do have to make a decision. And it's, um, and I think that we, we sometimes uh, underestimate how beautiful faith is. Yeah, it'd be lovely if we got a text message from God with cleaning instructions, but we don't. And actually, it's really beautiful the way that we have to follow these, these glimpses. Uh, I think when we're, I think one day we'll really realize how beautiful and noble it is to do that, you know? Yeah, I was, I, I, when you talk, said uh, it would be nice to get a text message from God, I think either Sam Harris or, or Christopher Hitchens when he was alive said something like that, like, you know, something cheeky, you know, like, you know, well, what, if God's really there, why does he, why does he show us some, show us himself a little bit more? And that's why we're here talking about it because we're trying to emphasize to people, no, 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 get here. Here's breaking news for you. He does show himself to us. <laughs> Tom Heine's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I'm interested in the subtitle, Tom, of your book, Lives of, of Rage and Stillness. Joe, do you find that interesting? No, I, I, find that, I find that interesting. Lives of Rage and Stillness. Um, where, does, uh, where does that come from, uh, Tom? Well, I mean, you know, you're the guys who run a show called The Front Line. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you know that uh, um, finding the truth doesn't mean that you, you just sit up and, and watch television for the rest of your life. It, it actually puts you into a battle. And... And yet at the same time, you wouldn't be doing it unless you weren't experiencing some level of peace. I think with with titles, I do think a lot about titles. And um, I, okay, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, uh, this isn't particularly religious, but you think of like Nirvana and that music, how I, one of the reasons I think it resonated with a generation for all its, however messed up it was, is that they could do like intense fury and then just this incredible sort of beauty. And the truth is life does sometimes feel like heavy metal, but it doesn't ever feel completely like heavy metal. And so there's an honesty there, but also is, you know, if you take someone, uh, some of these sort of uh, new age uh, or, or rather self-help gurus, these like positive things, Anthony Robbins type characters, they would have you believe that if you just sort of start thinking properly, you're going to be cruising. Everything's going to fall into place. Whereas one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, St. Therese of Lisieux, was going toe to toe with the devil till about a minute before she died and yet had one of the most beautiful, serene um, ecstasies at her death ever. There's no, there's no suggestion that, that it's going to let up until the day we die. So let's be honest about it. No, I think well, you're I'm right. And also, I'm sorry, Joe. No, no, that's okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because that, see, I, I, it's one thing people say, well, if I'm Catholic, if I believe, if, if all of it is true, then, then life should just be just all peachy keen. Like We should just be able to cruise right through it, like you said, and, and all is fine, and we're going to die a happy death, and we're going to, no, Catechism 409, okay, says life, the, all of human history is a struggle between man and the forces of evil. That is, the, if Marx had his theory of history, Hegel had his theory of history, all right? I'll take the Catholic Church's theory of history, okay? All of human history is, is a struggle between man and the forces of evil, and it's with God's grace that we could overcome that, okay, and achieve our own integrity, okay? As you, I'm only saying this to, to, to emphasize your point, Tom Heine, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, is that, yeah, it's a struggle, 
But with God's grace, you could get through it. And then you could have, like you said, like St. Therese of Lisieux, you could have that, that happy death and then, and, then, and then go to heaven, which is the meaning and purpose of our lives. And that's one of the dangers, I think, of modern Christianity, not non-Catholic Christianity, not all of it, is kind of like this, this you know, I, I, I joke about it on the show, Tom, but I, I actually heard it come out of a guy's mouth one time. He, said, he goes, when I, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the next day I had a Corvette in my driveway and a $40,000 Rolex on my wrist. I, I swear I heard that. It was like, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. What you're describing is how we should talk about what life is going to look like when you, when you have the Catholic faith, when you're in the grace of God through the sacraments. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's it. everything you say is true it's still it's a hard sell even to ourselves you know um suffering uh, 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 developing a mature relationship with suffering and realizing that suffering could actually be something quite noble uh it could actually bring out the best of us is uh when we are bombarded by adverts to have comfy shoes comfy sofas comfy this you know it's not it's not easy and and i think with the uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop on this one. Let Joe come in. But the, I think we also what Therese also teaches me is we have to realize we are fighting powers and principalities, not flesh and blood, and and not to get hooked up on the on 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 making it personal because uh, they're coming they're coming at us through whoever they can, and they'll come they'll come at the world through us if we give them half a chance. And, um, uh, you know, and we have to, uh, a lot of the fight is with ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I Tom, would agree with that. Uh, Tom, real quick, and I'm going to hand it to Joe. Uh, we'll mention it a couple of times. So uh, the title of the, the title of the book is The Song of Ascents, uh, Lives of Rage and Stillness. Where could folks buy the book? Uh, Ignatius Press website, Amazon, and any any bookshop crazy enough to have it in stock, I suppose. Yeah. Well, everybody out there knows what I'm about to say. Don't buy it from Amazon. Buy it on Ignatius. Let's support our <laughs> Catholic enough. publishers. Joe Racinello. Again, about lives of rage. Christ says in the Gospel of Luke, I've come to set the world on fire. You know, like, I think of that. Catherine of Siena said something similar as well. She says, if you are who you're meant to be, you will set the world on fire. I am not interested in lukewarm Catholicism at all. I'm not interested in it. It's boring. Mm-hmm. It's boring. Christ was a revolutionary. And each baptized Catholic in their own way should live as one. And we fail at it. But we have to think like that. That's how we move the dial. We're afraid, Tom. A lot of people, we are simply afraid. Catholics, I can't speak to Catholics in in Europe. I could speak to them in America. We don't differentiate ourselves from everybody else. We walk the same path. We're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. We don't have to tell people we're Catholic. They should see it. Because of the way we live, we're not like everyone else. We are revolutionaries like Jesus. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. That's what attracts me to the Catholic Church. When I see people like that, when I see a priest like that, when I see a religious order like that, I say, gosh, look at them. That's what makes people want to be Catholic. That's how we change the world. Well, I think... I think that's uh, that's what gets young people into church as well. Like uh, someone who, who who did youth work in the church once told me, if you tell a kid to to do something for the church, they'll roll their eyes. If you tell them to give everything, you've got their interest. And 
that appeals, you know. Um, at the same time, I think uh, I think in terms of of, of setting our uh, calibrating and understanding what what we're actually fighting for and what we're we're doing, we need to we need to really kind of have a clear idea of what we're trying to do because are we really trying to fix everything so that the whole world turns into a Catholic suburb? And every law in the land is Catholic because scripture doesn't imply that it's going to actually play out that way. It, um, it kind of implies that we're going to have to hold on to what we know to be true, even if we're getting the crap beaten out of us. You know, um, sorry if I can't swear. Uh, no, um, it's all good. That's, that's all right. Crap, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, crap um, is fine. That's okay. Okay. But, um, uh, you know, maybe we just have to like look at look at the the remnant in the Old Testament. You know, they they uh, they they were heroes by simply holding on, even if they were hiding in caves like Elijah. And I'm not saying we're going to hiding, but I'm saying that we we sometimes the sort of all the all the sort of anger and fury um, against um, all the laws that sort of uh, drive all of us crazy. It can sometimes sound like sound and fury signifying nothing. It's like uh, if things get really tough, then it, it'll be interesting to see like who's who's actually got the guts because it's not always the ones you think. I, I served a bit in the army as a as a chaplain, and some of the guys who'd been in Afghanistan told me that it wasn't always the soldiers you thought were going to be good uh, who turned out to be brave. It was sometimes uh, very unexpected, quirky ones, you know, and. So if there is a, as, as, as a number of people have said, have, that there is a, a time of persecution coming, which will be greater than any previous time of persecution before Christ returns, we all need to be uh, just hoping that we're going to uh, be one of the ones that, that sort of goes the distance. Um, I think one of the reasons people are really in key, uh, that whole story of the Titanic uh, is always interesting to people is that we all secretly wonder how we had to behave that night. You know, would we have been throwing women and children overboard to get to the lifeboat, or would we have been um, one of the ones who behaved gallantly? We just don't know, and we we uh, so we need to keep a bit of humility about us, even those of us who do see what's going on. I I I agree with you, Tom. We're going to go to a, a break in a minute. I just want to make a quick comment. I I, I it's funny you're saying that because I was thinking about that recently. I was thinking about like persecution because people think we're persecuted now. We're, we're especially in America, we're not persecuted. I mean, we're attacked, okay, but we're, we're not we're not persecuted yet. Not like in other parts of the world. But what is the difference? I think between uh, persecuted groups. Most of the time, I think in history, when a group is persecuted, attacked, killed. They look, the first impulse is to look for revenge. Well, when we get power, we're going to take revenge on you. That's never been the Catholic way. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you look at, you gave the example where you know, we might be in store for the greatest persecution. I can't honestly think of how bad it could be when you, let's say, think about the Roman persecution of, mm -hmm. uh, of the early church, okay? Those, those martyrs, they prayed for the people that were killing them. Mm -hmm. And they got that example from our Lord himself on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. But we don't we don't do that. We're all wrapped up like Joe likes to say. Now we think politics are important. Fighting the culture war is important. Okay, we have to be involved and, and active in that. Okay. But at the end of the day, we're praying for the people that persecute us. I'm not looking for revenge on the people that were responsible for the deaths of millions and millions of babies since Roe versus Wade. I pray for their conversion. 
I pray for them to become like Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Cut, cut, you know, come to the realization what you're doing is wrong, then convert to the Catholic Church, die a happy death, and go to heaven. That's my comment. Tom Heine's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We have to take a break real quick. Well, I'd like to come back, Joe, and talk a little bit about some of the conversion stories. So I'll Absolutely. hand it over to you when we come back. Uh, the, the book is The Song of Ascent, Lives of Rage and Stillness. Our guest is Tom Heine. Um, and that book is out at Ignatius Press. And we would emphasize to you to buy it from the publisher. We need to support our Catholic uh, publishers. So uh, you're with us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rizzanello. We are way in the breach with Tom Heine on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We have another great segment coming up, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello, and we're way in the breach with Tom Heine, and we are discussing his new book, The Song of Ascents, Lives of Rage and Stillness, that is out from Ignatius Press. Joe Rasinello, where do you want to go? Well, as we said at the beginning of the interview, uh, this book is about conversions, and everyone loves conversion stories. We want to kind of explore some of them that you documented, Tom. Uh, let's start with King Alfred. Uh, he was a medieval king. He was awaiting a Viking invasion. I just recently read Joseph Pierce's book, uh, True England, and uh, the Vikings were some vicious people. I mean, I think I would have a change of heart if they were coming to my town. I think twice <laughs> about well, what I did and what I'm going to do. So talk a little bit about King Alfred. Yeah, so King Alfred, cradle Catholic, very pious mother and went on pilgrimage to Rome, which is quite something if you think this is like in the 800s as a kid, um, what sort of impression that must have given, because England was, they, they were pretty much pushing rocks around at that time. Um, they didn't have big buildings at all. He uh, was one of those characters, a bit like JFK, didn't think he would be king, but his brothers all ended up getting killed by the Vikings or other means, and so he suddenly becomes king. By this stage, he's Become quite worldly. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's money and fighting and the sort of the real business of life. I think the faith's still there in the background, but he, he's become a bit arrogant. And the the fight with the Vikings when it starts doesn't start well, and he actually uh, has to go sort of on the run and he's generally just licking his wounds. And it's in that time, and historians aren't quite sure what happened, partly because historians, a lot of them are determined not to sort of introduce any spiritual dimension into what they're talking about. But something happened to Alfred, and he came out of that period a changed man. He beat the Vikings, and he not only beat the Vikings, but he commissioned a translation of the Bible um, and great sort of works by, by Catholics like Pope Gregory the Great and uh, Augustine and, and so on into the vernacular. He, he decided that the, 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 the clergy needed um, improvement. So he, he, he brought in scholars from outside of England to improve the, the teaching of clergy to make it more thorough. And he, he kept that up till the day he died. Um, it wasn't just a flush of gratitude after beating the Vikings. He 
he absolutely wound uh, his faith to uh, to the sort of practical business of rebuilding the country. And even secular historians concede that he is almost without parallel in English history. He was just remarkable. Um, what, of course, what's remarkable is that they can say all this without sort of occurring to them that that maybe his faith, which they mentioned in passing, was a, was a huge player in making that possible. Um, so yeah, so he's an example of a cradle Catholic who reignited. Okay, uh, talk a little bit, uh, Tom Heine, about Father Montserrat. Uh, he was a Jesuit evangelist at the court of Akbar. Yeah, so he and um, and an, and another Jesuit were were in Goa on the west coast of India in uh, the 1500s when Akbar, the great, the great sort of um, Muslim emperor. Was uh, was in his capital. Akbar was uh, had just had no enemies. He destroyed everybody. He was one of the most powerful people that's ever existed in history, and he'd had some sort of mystical experience in the Himalayas on one of his campaigns, and he, it, it, it sort of bugged him a bit, like uh, maybe what we were talking about earlier, and he it, he wasn't really getting that sense from. The mosque so he brought in other religions uh, other religious leaders to talk to them find out what their religion was about but he couldn't find it from them anyway but he eventually he asked the goa jesuits to send two priests up to the capital so that they could take part in this sort of parliament of religions and thanks to montserrat we had an, we have an account of this and it's an extraordinary uh business and uh, the two of them, him and Rodolfo, Father Rodolfo, they they go toe to toe with uh, the Muslims in exactly the same way that people these days, you know, in the Middle East and on the internet, um, sort of go to and fro uh, Muslims and Christians with each other on 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 sort of whether Jesus was a great guy or God and all the same sort of questions. And Akbar comes within a hair's breadth of converting he actually gets his um his sons uh, start to be educated by the jesuits um and then at the last moment he realizes that this would destroy his empire that the empire itself starts to rebellion start to break out orchestrated by his own mother who realizes that he's about to convert and she's just come back from Hajj, and he he just decides at the at the last moment I can't do this and and the two Jesuits get banished from the capital and they come back down and the Portugal is at war with um, with, with with Akbar's navy in the, in the Gulf and the whole story gets sort of pretty much uh, lost and Montserrat himself ends up in a slave galley and as a prisoner in the Gulf. Um, on his way to Ethiopia, he gets captured. Anyway, his written account of it, believe it or not, surfaces in a British library in India just before World War I. Someone just finds this manuscript. And apart from telling this remarkable story uh, of a near conversion in Akbar's case, it, uh, it's actually become one of the sort of chief source documents as to sort of the, the personality of this this extraordinary man. Um, so yeah, there's the there's a sort of a conversion that that got close but never quite happened. 
I, I want to comment on that. First of all, isn't Montserrat, uh, is, isn't that a, a someplace in Spain it tied to Ignatius Loyola, I believe? Yeah. Correct. So he'd actually met Ignatius and he was from Spain. And Rodolfo was uh, Italian German uh, nobility. So the t um, yeah, the, but Montserrat was he was Spanish. He'd also uh, worked in Lisbon during the the big the sort of outbreak of the plague there. Because I know a bit about the Jesuits. I went to a Jesuit school, and I will say this: when Jesuits are on point, they are. There's nothing like it. The, a Jesuit, when they are on point, they are like the special forces. I met one person like that. I, and I knew one in New York who recently died, Father Joseph Katarski. But I knew one in India, uh, Father Lawrence Abello, who served 40 years in Calcutta. I'm, I was friends with him. And his life was amazing. Jesuits, Jesuit spirituality, um, when they are on point, my Lord, they turn the world upside down. But to do that, and you talk about King Alfred, I, I just want to throw that out there. Um, but... You mentioned these two people. They were convinced of something in a way that most people weren't, and most people aren't, that Christ's way is the only way, mm. no matter what. You see, I, I've often thought about the 12 and why Judas left. Why did Judas leave? Judas believed. He saw everything that Jesus did. He just lost faith in his process. He wanted a king now. I want power. I want the Romans out. We can be like that. We we could believe all the stuff, but we lose faith in the process. You see, these guys didn't. All hell was breaking loose for both of them, but they still stayed on the road. I trust Father Montserrat ended up in a, a slave on a gallery. That's gallon. my point. That's my point. Like, it's easy to be like, yeah, I believe in you, but guess what? My life stinks right I'm now. I'm not rowing this boat, Jesus. Come on. <laughs> you know, like, you imagine it's, that. it's just it's just exceptional. I mean, you know, everyone can love the faith when they're in a, you know, in Mejigori or, or in Lourdes and, and be surrounded by faithful people. But to still love him and trust him when you're in a galley slave, um, it's just remarkable. I, I, I'll just throw in one point, because the Holy Spirit obviously has a big part to play in sustaining these people's faith. Is if you read the account of Felicity and Perpetua and their martyrdom in North Africa, they were, as they were fed to the lions, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a, an eyewitness account. In fact, the first part of it is actually written by them from their prison cell, and it's finished by a witness. That when the animals at first wouldn't eat them, they were brought back into the cage so the animals could be poked or whatever. They didn't realize they'd already been out there because they were in a trance uh, by the Holy Spirit. And I think we turn, we, we have to make decisions and go so far. And then he reaches out his hands and takes us. And um, that's what I'm banking on if it gets really messy, because I, I haven't got that kind of courage naturally. It's funny that when we earlier in the conversation here at the front line with Joe and Joe being joined by Tom Heine, um, it, when we were talking about uh, where I mentioned about the martyrdom, the early martyrdom, those two always pop in my head. Like there, I have this, this, every time I think of martyrs, first and foremost, I always think of uh, uh, perpetual and, and felicity. Um, that's what I meant about, about those who, you know, those Catholics who are praying for those who, you know, who are persecuting them in this case, obviously about to, you know, martyr them to kill mm -hmm. them. Okay. It takes, 
uh, again, I, 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 I don't want to beat a dead horse, Tom, but we can do nothing apart from Christ. If you give yourself over to him, then because if I'm left to myself, I, I don't know what I do. Like you said earlier about the Titanic, I, I don't know what I do with Christ. I have a fairly good idea of what direction I'm going to go in. And I think that's that's a big challenge. You know, I'd, I'd like to sort of encourage you that, uh, as well, because there's a very, very wise Monsignor out here who comes in sometimes to where I am to teach philosophy. And he's a lovely Italian man. And um, he said once that he thinks that Christians today are going to be judged more leniently than Christians in the past because it is so hard to be a Christian today. You think people have always had temptations. They didn't have the Internet. You know, people have always had doubts. They didn't have 200 years of, it, of enlightenment sort of pushed down them uh, from sort of like, you know, school onwards. We are we are really uh, we're up against it. It's a miracle that, that, you know, in a way that the three of us are able to to share our faith at, at, at this juncture in history. We, we should appreciate that sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I here's an interesting one. Henrik Gorecki. So he was a composer in communist Poland. Uh, talk a little bit about him. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. So he he grew up um, 30 minutes from Auschwitz. And uh, he was a kid when the war ended. He remembers as a schoolboy being taken, I mean, literally months after the after Auschwitz had been evacuated and seeing ashes, human ashes in the gardens that they, the prisoners had been made to grow. He was a composer, he was a brilliant musician in a country where artists and musicians are meant to do more than just produce stuff that makes them look brilliant. They're meant to be the voice of the people. If you were a poet, then you, you your poems were meant to be sung in the taverns, like cathartic moments of uh, expressing all the nation's sort of hopes and and, and some pains and here he is kind of uh having to deal with this subject matter that had happened on his on his backyard plus the soviet occupation just throttles everyone including most artists and writers who get seduced into working for the communists in their hordes even if they didn't like it to start with they realize there's free apartments there's overseas holidays and there's commissions or there's nothing so one by one, they start to sort of drift over. And Goretzky was this extraordinary man of integrity whose first compositions were just angry. I mean, there's nothing religious about it. He's just atonal, uh, very modernistic, very fractal, really, really, the lyrics, when you, when they read them in translation, they are just broken, furious at God. Fury. If he's talking to God at all, he's like, what? what is this and and then he starts to sample bits of choral work as he goes on and he gets a bit more interested but he slows it down it sounds almost sort of ironic the way he's using it you're not sure if he's really kind of like with it or not then he meets john paul ii that would be when he when he was uh, archbishop uh, uh, in cracker and John Paul II, who obviously had a, a background in art as well, he appreciated creativity. He had a time for artists. He he convinced Goretzky that artists, Catholic artists, should say, should see and look into the world and see the darkness and report the darkness, but they should also 
talk of the beauty. And it changed Goretzky. Uh, and he went on to write Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, which anybody listening, if you could you could listen to it. Uh, it's one of the most stunning pieces of music ever, ever composed. He then went, he then wrote another piece for um, St. John Paul II's famous visit to Poland in 1979, which was played right at the end. He's just a legend. He's, a, he's just a great, great uh, Catholic artist who had to drag himself back from this real darkness, um, trusted thanks to, thanks to meeting one of the most inspiring Christians uh, of, of his or any time, and, and actually inspired and uplifted people with art that wasn't frothy, but had this, this hope to it. Brilliant, brilliant man. Thank you for that. Tom Heine's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. This The book is out from Ignatius Press. The author is Tom Heine, and the title is The Song of Ascents, Lives of Rage and Stillness. Joe, we got a little bit of time left. Where do you want to go? I kind of want to talk about conversion in general. We just mentioned three folks uh, in Tom's book that had a change of heart. But conversion is something that takes place every day. I've, I've, I've heard this in, like, circles, uh, you know, in young religious, they'd be like, oh, I'll tell you about my conversion. Um, I find that to be almost like a sophomoric statement. Conversion is every day. Every day is a decision. I will follow Christ every single day. We're not fully converted until the beatific vision. Um, and many times we wrestle with that. Mm. Talk about how we have to focus on that, how it could leave in a second. I know me. I could tell you this right now. I mean, I am over my head, Tom. I have five children under eight years old. Sure. Me and my wife both work to pay bills. We live in a box in plain English. I'm over my head. I'm out of patience. <laughs> like, 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 and without God, it's over in plain English. Yeah. Talk about because you're going to be a priest, you know, like and, and and you have a lot, you know, going on. I mean, like in life too, yeah. temptation, like like you, they say a priest has a target on his back by the devil. You know, they're coming for you. How do we maintain it and how do we push forward? I would say whatever your whatever your little coping mechanisms, that bit of cake, that coffee, whatever it is, start to get, give that up, make it hurt more. Um, and then, and then to pray from the bottom of your belly. I'm sure you do already, and I'm sure you are already. But in in my limited experience, my, it is when we it is when we fully go from that place where we have no when we we throw all the all the props away, and we go we go toe to toe with him because he can handle that. Like read the Psalms. It's like, what are you doing? The guy down the road is an idiot. And yet you give him like all this money and this healthy family and everything. I'm one of the good guys. And you've got me living in a box. Uh, you know, give it, give him, have that sort of relationship with God, tell him straight. And, and what happens in the Psalms, every time he's talking to him, he realizes who's, who he's talking to because he is talking to him. And something changes. If there's one thing that um, I learned from from coming in from the, the the you know the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, with all the issues that they've got, is that they don't mind having a plain conversation with God. 
And I think combined with the sacraments, combined with all the rest of the amazing stuff, and, and the, sometimes you do just need to, just to cry or to yell or, and, and he is good. He is good and he is trustworthy and he, he has, he is faithful. And, and that's how we end up having these stories to tell is because we've survived when in that Tuesday night, when it all looked like it was just horrendous, we stopped ourselves panicking long enough to, to turn all that frenzy of energy into, into a heartfelt prayer. And, 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 and it was a prayer that, that was answered. And um, so, yeah, just go into the, go into the pain. Go into it every time. I, I, I'm, I was reminded when you were talking, I was reminded of Job. Because when you're talking about God's response, right? What I love about Job is Job kind of pulls the same thing. It's like, you know, what, you know, you know why, why'd you do this to me? Right. Like, you know, after he's ill advised by his so called friends. Okay. And he's like, why did you do this to me? And God gives him a response that it prevents me from ever trying to look at God or, or talk to God and saying, why are you doing this to me? Because God just reads him the riot act. And I kind of love that because it's like a loving father would. Uh, like, and the, the, way, the way God puts it to Job and he says, well, where were you, Job? Did you create yourself? Did you create the universe? Did you do all these things? You know, it's, and, and God kind of, I, I say as as a loving father, uh, but in kind of like you know, kind of you know, he, he kind of lays into him a little bit. But but Job is 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 humble enough to realize you know he, you know God is God is laying it out. This is the way it is, okay. Um, and then that's why we call it the patience of Job. And then Job kind of recedes from there and then and then moves on. But I was reminded of that because I don't want to get that answer from God. I I don't want I don't want him to to read me the riot act. But also, and and it's also it's that vulnerability um that it, it you know that nun on the stairs the, these aren't people who've kind of who who are who are just all all power um everything falls into place they are people who know how vulnerable they are who've 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 accepted that who've realized the beauty of that and and i think sometimes yeah sometimes we can just uh who cares what other people really think of us because it's what he thinks that really matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe Racinello. Let's talk. You're a man of letters, Tom. Let's talk about Franson Thompson, uh, his famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. I'll just read an excerpt because I think it's very rele relevant words to this day to many people. I fled from him down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind in the midst of tears. I hid from him an underrunning laughter. That's the part of that that strikes me. We laugh as if like we know what's right and what's best, yet God persists. What do you think? It does. It does. And it, it, it goes back to that uh that stillness, you know, I was with peace. Like you can have peace with the world, um, the big, the big job, the big sort of uh, banker, and then you can have peace with God. And um, peace with God is 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 is, a, is an eternal peace. It's a real. It's a. It's a. It's. A, I used to say to prisoners in prison, like honestly, I really believe I'd rather be in a cell with the Holy Spirit than be in a mansion without it. And and he laughs and we're laughing. We, we know that we're crazy. Um, 
And yet sometimes, you know, even the Apostle Paul would do stuff he doesn't want to do. Um, it, it is, it's like being in charge of a, um, just a, a, somebody alien, um, sort of uh, being ourselves sometimes. And, um, and yeah, we, I think deep down he made us, we know him, we can't get away from that. And he, he's going to have the last laugh, so why not laugh with him? <laughs> I like the way you put that, Tom. Um, Tom, we, we we try to talk about um, you know younger generation. Obviously, we're involved in the culture war here in America, and it is a culture war. Joe and I on the show at the front line with Joe and Joe, we usually describe it. It's more of a spiritual battle, but a lot of people in the culture war don't want to hear about the spiritual stuff. But really, that's what it is. But so, but so obviously, um, our enemy knows to go after young people. Um, and, you know, trying to form a generation. Now they're even going after five-year-olds and four-year-olds and six-year-olds and trying to form them in very evil ways. If you were going to pick, I know it might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but if you were going to pick maybe one thing, Tom Heine, uh, that keeps young people maybe away from Christ or his church, what do you think that might be? What is the reluctance to, let's say, dive into religion in general and, let's say, the Catholic Church in particular? Well, I've, I just got back from Uganda. I was there in the summer, you know, and uh, I, I remember a Saturday mass with, uh, afterwards there was adoration, then there's two priests, there's cues for confession at both, and there's kids there who come off the football ground, um, queuing up, like, respectfully in their in their sort of sweaters, and and, and it was such an extraordinary sight, probably not since medieval times have, have, has that happened in Europe. And you see youngsters who just don't question it. They love what religion does to their parents. They love the atmosphere of, of um, uh, within a church. They have no issue with that. And then they'll go and play football. If, uh, if kids aren't experiencing that in, in our churches, then... We have to question ourselves. We, we, we shouldn't sort of just beat up the clergy. The truth is, as a culture, we haven't been sending our best and our brightest into the clergy. Uh, we, we can't just turn, we can't turn that around overnight. We have we've all been seduced a bit, all of us, by um, by the sort of the culture through the, you know, the 70s and 80s. The 90s it was only sort of the back end of the 90s that we suddenly realized like this is we've got to get out of this marriage with the world it's just it's not going to end well and it just goes on and on and on and and if there's one thing i think there's no we can't compromise now because they won't the world it'll just take what we offer and then just keep going wanting more i think the kids will respond um, I think we have to be angrier. Than, we have to be braver than just being angry among ourselves and among people who agree with us. We have to um, we have to live lives of integrity and um, and and show our courage uh, in a graceful way. I just read a, a, an account of someone who was arrested the same day the same day Edith Stein was arrested. She was a Polish doctor, and she wrote to the Dutch Archbishop who'd written the letter against the Nazis that had resulted in them being arrested. And she said, I don't want you to feel bad. She managed to get this letter from the camp before she went to Auschwitz. She said, I don't want you to feel bad. I feel privileged to be here. And she was a Jewish convert to the Catholic faith. She was graceful and courageous. And, and we need to hold on to those two together. And the kids will follow us. 
Absolutely. Tom Heine, one thing you said about the kids playing football, it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with American football, but Vince Lombardi, when he was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, would wake up, go serve as an altar boy at mass, okay, um, and then go to work and coach the Green Bay Packers and tell his players about Christian love and how that needs to uh, come out of them and and, and translate uh, how they actually play the game of football. So it's, it just reminded me of that because he was a crazy cat. It was like this old guy. He's he's doing Latin mass, but he was the altar server. Anyway, Tom Heine, the, the title of the book, where people can buy it one more time. Yeah, The Song of Ascents and uh, buy it from Ignatius Press. Get it off the website. Well, let me tell you, this has been a great conversation. All right. And like I said, Joe and I learn as much as we do, uh, you know, uh, as, as the as the audience does when we have on authors like yourself, Tom Heine. I, I will go out on a limb and say you are welcome back on this show anytime, brother, um, really to discuss anything. We're, we're very happy that you came on. We're very grateful. Thanks, guys. All Thanks. right. And thank you. all. Go ahead, Tom. No, I'll just say I'll be I'll be, I'll be praying for you both from from here in Rome as well. It's um, and uh, yeah, just uh, lots of love to you both and uh, keep going. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, and share it with your friends so you'll have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us on social media primarily primarily at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube for now. Uh, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.